Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's episode 20 of Flames Nation Radio. Ryan Pike here alongside... Shane Stevenson, as always. Hi, Shane. Hey, everybody. And as per usual, Flames Nation Radio is brought to you by DoorDash and also by Eau Claire Distillery's Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. Uh, Shane is still a victim of labor action by folks at his institution, so he has a lot of free time. So hopefully this this means that uh, his usually good takes are even better. Uh, so Shane, I, I it's since the last time we spoke, the Flames... Uh, with all apologies to the the fans of the New York Islanders, my friend Jackie, who uh, who covers the a lot of New York hockey and for uh, now for the NHL, but uh, formerly she worked for a lot of different entities out east. And I joked to her after I think uh, Game Seven of the winning streak, they might as well rename the Saddle Dome Fort Never Lose because the Flames are in the midst of a ten game home winning streak and a ten game winning streak overall. They have not lost at the Saddle Dome since that disappointing game against the Ottawa Senators back in mid-January and they haven't lost a game at all since uh I try to remember the last game they lost Shane uh it was not in February I can tell you that it was, it was the uh that second was, last game in January wasn't it It was the Blues it was the game that the Blues actually arrested it was, wanted revenge for it was the back-to-back drug. it was the second yeah. game of that back-to-back and actually we we just released on the site our breakdown of the seven game segments uh, in, you know, with, with deference to the ghost of Bob Hartley, uh, he's not dead. He's still alive, but he's not coaching in the NHL anymore. But uh, Bob Hartley, his whole thing was seven game segments, because if you want to be successful in the playoffs, you got to win four out of seven games. If you're breaking down a season into what you need to qualify for the playoffs, you need to win four or seven games. Uh, And so that is the basic strategy behind us breaking down seven game segments and so the past seven games, the Flames won all seven. The previous seven games, the Flames won five of seven. Uh, and actually dating back to their return from the COVID stoppage on uh, December the 29th against Seattle, they have won 15 games. They've lost six. And uh, you can make a case that they've been getting better and better. I mean, they're, we'll get into this uh, you know, into the nitty-gritty of it momentarily, but uh, at a very high level, they're playing – pretty good to very good hockey i would not you know shane you and i think you and i are both in agreement uh, they're not playing perfect hockey because i i don't think not that lately, fairly exists. i mean uh let's, let's let's just i guess go through it very top you know top of the tree tops um they've been playing a lot of tight games which is good uh they've been playing very a lot of i would say you know the they've had i think 
three of the last seven games have been one goal games. Another one was a one goal game that they uh, also had a uh, actually three of the last ten. Three of the, the three, three of the last three. ten. Yeah, they went on a little. They went on a little absolute tear there between when they thwomped the Knights since they came back. Yeah, they the also the Ducks. <laughs> they had I think of the ten they have had three games that were one that were officially one goal games. They've mm-hmm. had one more game that uh, the the game against the, the Jets that was a one goal game with an empty netter. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they it's been a fairly close split between games with that were absolute very one sided games and games that weren't and games. I, I think for if you're someone saying you know oh why are you nitpicking uh, you know a ten game winning streak one welcome to Canada that's what we do here, uh, but also just the idea that you know if if you're trying to figure out what they're gonna take from this streak and potentially bring with them into the postseason when it begins in early May, the things you'd be hoping they'd be bringing with them are how do you win close games? Because, you know, how do you win games where you score a ton of goals? Well, you just do that. Uh, but, you know, Daryl Sutter, I think after the the game against Winnipeg hit the nail on the head where, you know, the, the flame strategy in the, the earlier years of this uh, era of the club was score more goals than the other team, which, yeah, that's what even mentioned that in his press for the other day that's what the goal is of hockey you've scored more goals than the other team but there's not really much strategy behind that whereas it seems you know especially those closer games that flames have played you know uh, as occasionally dull as it was to watch i look back at that one nothing game against the vancouver canucks and go that might be a prototype for how the flames need to play because the canucks under bruce boudreau have been a very very good team granted they've you know, beaten teams that are beatable, but they beat them. And that was something the Canucks weren't doing in previous previous weeks. And so the Flames play a, a team with a lot of momentum. They play a team that finally seems to have an identity in Vancouver. And they basically played a 65-minute staring contest or 61-and-a-half-minute staring contest or something. And it was a 0-0 game. The Flames seemed perfectly content to play as a 0-0 game until it broke open. And there's been plenty of 1-1 games where, you know, when uh, when, when Mark Giordano was here, uh, former Flames captain Mark Giordano, uh, in, you know, I think two or three years, we had uh, the post-game or the post-season pressers in – fairly early April, literally the mid-April. Uh, and after the season, he sort of, one of the things he observed was the Flames as a hockey club had a tendency of doing two things. One, giving up goals way too early in games. Sometimes the first shot, sometimes the first five minutes, but you know they, they were amongst the lead leaders in trailing in games. And so they had to chase. And I don't know, you know, we've, we've all played sports of various types, but you know, when you're, when you're frustrated, when you're tired, when you're angry, you tend to open up your systems a bit because you know, you're not, you're thinking, Oh, I'm not getting the chances I need. So you try to, you, you press it a little bit more and you, your gaps between bigger, you know, the, the flames, you know, I think the, the, the worst era of the flames for this was actually ironically the Bob Hartley era of the flames because they, you know, they became the stretch pass boys where there was one game. I vividly remember this. There's a flames game, an Anaheim game against Calgary where Anaheim scored early and two thirds of the game was, you know, uh, TJ Brody trying to, th- spring guys with stretch passes through the neutral zone to the offensive blue line and the ducks saw they had a lead and they saw the flames trying to get all stretch passy and the the the, the, there's a game against dallas was like that too but the anaheim ducks just stacked up bodies inside the neutral zone and every time the flames like here's a stretch pass they went no it's not and slapped it down and so that is the problem when you're playing behind a lot and you're trying to open up and you change your systems because the other team sees the change and goes, okay, great. They're going to play our game. And 
the Flames for the for their I think the the single nicest compliment I can play uh, pay to this coaching staff and this hockey club right now is they are not changing anything regardless of the score. There might be little subtle th- things like they they play a bit looser when they're up three goals because of course you do. That's that's what score effects are. You you're just more relaxed implicitly. Mm-hmm. But if it's a one goal game or or a tie game or they're down a goal, up a goal, whatever. They generally speaking tend to play the exact same it's, way. It, and it's, it's funny beautiful. you you mentioned it. So I went to hockey viz while you were talking, and I actually brought up their score effects uh by shot rates. Uh, <laughs> it's quite impressive, to be honest, especially uh there there is a significant effect if they're down two, they do sac it looks like they do sacrifice quite a much bit defensively, which naturally will have to happen if you want to score goals. If you especially need two, you're going to need to sacrifice a bit on the back end to try and create a bit more offense. But if they are up three or down three, it's all Calgary. Like the second the score hits a difference of three, it's all Calgary, whether they're up or down. Now, there's only been 65 minutes total ice time where Calgary's been down by three. So we haven't really had to deal with that much at all. Calgary's hardly trailed. 350, 363. 428 minutes is all Calgary's trailed by Micah's uh, count. And this might be five on and, five. And, and that's the, the full season? Yeah, that's everything up till today. The, so, uh, the Pat- for instance, tied, 909 minutes alone. 511 minutes up one, 234 up two, uh, 307 minutes up three or more. So altogether, they're not more than any of the two. They've just been, that's what you said, they started, they, they start games on time. Like uh, under um, Jeff Ward, uh, the Flames had a tendency to come out napping, uh, and and like you said, let let the first goal gets by them. Not just Jeff Ward; it was yeah, it under, under Bill Peters, under Peters too, yeah. even under even under Bob Hartley. I'd argue, you know, uh, oh, that's where this yeah, really, arrow of the Flames has been like that. So Sutter said in his press conference, he said this team, and even Ward said it too. He said this team's tried to. He Ward said it in a little harsher terms. He said, you know, we've tried to be a goal scoring team. We're not going to be a goal scoring team anymore. And that was taken harshly by some fans, myself included. If, I was I, like, I, what I are think, you going to try to do? I, like, I think the the point that both Daryl and, and Jeff were getting mm-hmm. was that you can't outscore your problems if you have structural mm-hmm. problems with how your team is built and how your team like. Uh, we, we we love to throw rocks at our, our colleagues up north, so let's do so right now. Oh, the, the biggest the biggest problem I have with how the Edmonton Oilers are built is that they're a goal scoring team that they 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 really have to win a lot of high scoring games. They 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 rely on high event hockey and granted, I mean when you have a McDavid and a Drysaitel and to a lesser extent a Nugent Hopkins, you can you can try to outscore your problems and maybe you can play they're, they're trying to play eighties hockey again. They've got the best player, which they used to, and back in the eighties. What worked for them? Score all the goals. You had the best player in the game. You had other all-star Hall of Famers with you outscore your problems in the 80s. That worked. You could win games 9-5. to five. Wouldn't, not, wouldn't not, matter. Not in the playoffs. It's not, the, de- the dead puck era happened in the 90s. Whole thing changed. Now, now it's the cap era. Like It's been two eras since. We're probably into a third era that'll get a new name eventually. And the Oilers are still three eras back trying to outscore their problems. They need to learn how to play some sort of structural sound defensive system in their own zone or have like, you know, when you get the puck in the corner, these are your options. And the, the players should know that they should be coached that. 
and uh, we'll see. I re- I'm a big Jay Woodcroft fan myself. Uh, he he was part of Team North America's staff. When and 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 the con- the Bakersfield Condor has been one of the better AHL mm-hmm. teams last few years. It's since since he like and you know granted the Oilers have provided they, they had a lot of good players in their farm system. Shout out to uh, Olympian Adam Cracknell, who's been just one of the great success stories of of minor league hockey. He's just he is by no means an NHL player, but that guy's gonna be he's gonna have so many stories when he fin- hangs up the skates. Uh, yeah, Rich Clune. He reminds me of Rich Clune. Yeah, he plays I mean, in the Toronto Marlies. Just, just decided and like, you know what? This is good. Like, yeah, I can play here. This is but good. When we talk about teams having identities, the idea being like, you know, if the idea is we're going to outscore all your all our problems, you're going to have issues because mm-hmm. you know at some point, like, you know, you'll have you'll hit a team that has a shutdown line that'll kill you, or a good defensive group that'll kill you, or a hot goalie or whatever. And I, I think that the nice thing about the Flames is when you sit when we look at and see that they don't have these massive score effects and they don't completely open up their game, it shows that their mindset isn't. Oh, well, let's just score two more goals here. They've been lucky that they've scored goals, and they've been fortunate that they've been getting goals come in bunches. But you know, if you look at overall, I think in the I think there's been something like 900 minutes of uh, of play of all sorts during the winning streak, uh, and they've uh, <laughs> the funny thing is they've only trailed for uh, 35 minutes, 35 or 35 yeah. minutes. They, that's they don't in, that's incredible. That's incredible. They don't trail much. Like if you're playing the Flames, if you're playing the Flames, you you you, ex- you should expect to be down at some point or tied. And if you're up late, expect the push because they're not going to back down. They're going to stick to their guns. And I I think I wrote it in one of my Beyond the Box scores. I said they they've proven to us so far that they'll play a full sixty minutes no matter what the score. If it's three one with five minutes left, or it's uh, for them or the opposition, it doesn't matter. They're still pressing. They're still trying to get the puck back, checking, as the coach would say, check, get the puck back, and they're still trying to attack the net and score. And now, I, I would, they, they I did have problems against Winnipeg and Winnipeg's big defenseman getting yeah. to the net. Gradually. <laughs> yes, yes. So that, that was that was the rough thing, and that was kind of one thing that I think Sutter yeah, – that's why Sutter likes size, because the big thing is the, the, the Flames keep possession along the boards. And – when as soon as someone doesn't cover them well that player can pick the puck up and drive the net whether it's johnny on the left wall kachuk behind the net they do it better than anybody uh on the team and as soon as someone doesn't cover them the puck's attacking the net if they can't get a lane to the net really quickly it goes back to anderson or hannafin or whoever's on the point and they'll walk the line in a bit and then they'll decide if there's a lane they'll shoot it and go for a tip, kind of like what Johnny did late with Lindholm. If there's nothing there, back into the corner. And and they, they did there. they did similar things against Seattle too, where Seattle sort of hmm. Seattle does not have high end players, but Seattle plays a very you know Dave Haxwell is a good coach. They play a very structured been, system. Yeah, and they've they, been strong defensively all year. Oh, they've got just their only problem with they they've just got they haven't got the goaltender. But Kruber can't stop anything. <laughs> Man, he was really he was really good against Calgary, but I, I yeah, think, of course. <laughs> but I think if you look at sort of the the things that the Flames did well, I mean, you know, even just this past week, where I'd say they've been a bit leaky defensively, just in terms of some of the structural elements of their game haven't been as sharp as they have been at other points. But you know, they they've been able to in games where 
the the middle of the ice that home plate area has been clogged up they've been really good at using that high low play where they get possession they cycle it around they structure some bodies in front and then it's just a matter of oh like you know look the the goal they scored against uh, seattle where chris tanev just sort of flings it towards the slot area Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of bodies there but lindholm's in place that he can get the puck in that high slot area and get that shot off or same kind of thing where the 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 goal against winnipeg that decided the game was a play that the the players are making a, a scoring chance they didn't quite get it through, but then Goudreau got the retrieval and circled back and waited for, he basically said, I'm going to be the point guy. And he circled back to the top of the top of the zone and then just flung it in there when he had some, some layers of tips there. And, and Lindholm knows things are better. And Lindholm knows his role in the offensive zone. If you notice, he's not, Lindholm will engage in a board battle, but he's more of a support always like kind of that. He's kind of patrols the middle of the ice to grab it. If, uh, if someone comes out, it's really Kachuk that does the board battles. Uh, Lindholm will do it, but Lindholm's hella smart. As soon as that pucks on the back point, uh, he he's ready to either be in the shot lane or back against the wall. He, he's just, he's just so versatile and he can get to wherever he needs to be. Um, Kachuk, Kachuk's tremendous. His IQ is off the charts. So, uh, but other players that do great on the boards are uh, Andrew Mondrapani, Mondrapani, uh, Tyler Toffoli has notoriously been well for recognizing when it's a good time to charge the net. Um, Things like that. Let's talk about Mondrapani for a second, because, you know, like, let's, one of my favorite topics. You you would not expect a guy who is very generously listed by the league at 5'10", 170, to be a good physical tactical player but i i've noticed this in my live viewings i've noticed this on video he's one of those guys where he doesn't barrel blindly into these puck battles but he's very good at sort of picking his lanes and picking his angles of approach and just sort of making a little curl play to just chip things out he kind of reminds me in a bit uh yuri hoodler is kind of like this too where hoodler was not a big dude and he definitely had no interest in pinning a guy against the boards or crashing and banging, but he was so good at just going to the corners and coming away with things. And for, for a team, especially now that the flame style is predicated on, you know, multiple chances, circling the zone, wearing you down and repeated pressure. And we, when Daryl talks about checking, he means, you know, it's forechecking and back checking the idea of being like, you know, you, we've seen, you know, plenty of Flames players steal pucks on the, on the back check in the neutral zone, but just the idea of you go in, you gain the zone, you get a scoring chance. Great. Good for you. Gold star. But so many times in past eras of the flames, even last season, you can make an argument, even after Daryl got here, you'd have the initial, the zone entry, the scoring chance, hooray, they got a scoring chance. They look around like, you know, can we have a cookie now? And then puck goes in the corner, other team gets it, boom, back the other direction, and they're chasing again. Or, mm-hmm. you know, or things, they tr- they can't even get to the zone and they things sort of die in the neutral zone. Whereas this year, they're I think they're much more effective at A, getting to the zone consistently with possession, and B, after that initial shot going, okay, where's the puck? And then boom. So you have, you know, instances where a lot of these goals come off of, you know, they get into the zone, they get a scoring chance or the scoring chance hits a leg, goes into the corner. Someone in red or white goes into the corner, gets the puck, cycles back to the point, back to the other point. And then by the time it, by the time it goes the D to D at the, the top of the zone, you have three or four flames in the, in the middle of the ice ready mm-hmm. for blocks or tips for whatever. And it's, it's opened up a lot of different things because instead of having them sort of chasing it, like, uh, like kids, you know, in the Timbits thing at the intermission, it's a lot more structured as a zone attack, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more sustainable because you don't have guys getting worn out to sort of, you know, chase them. Like we've seen the, uh, you know, the, the, the old fashioned swarm approach that the Oilers used to use. 
and it looks cool and when it works it's amazing when it doesn't work and it doesn't work you're a lot. wide open <laughs> yeah because you're really prone to to and even even in terms of you know Shane you've definitely seen this the thing the one thing I really like about how the flames are playing in the offensive zone is they're activating the D but they're not opening themselves up like you have you uh, I was thinking specifically you, you mentioned the sort of the the set plays they have in the zone you alluded to it a little, a little moment ago yeah yeah the, 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 remember, remember that D to D goal they scored uh, they uh, they had a, a set faceoff play. It was another close game. They had a oh, it was uh, the Hannafin one. I know yes, exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So they win the puck back to Anderson. Anderson rigs the puck out a bit, uh, goes back to Kachuk. They moved across. Kachuk comes low. And because they kept everything on the right side of the ice off the faceoff, no one really drifted left. Hannafin, as soon as he sees Anderson go low and, Kachuk, and he knows Kachuk's back covering, yeah, Hannafin yeah. charges the net with stick on the ice. Anderson just has to see that seam. And if that seems not there, Anderson can dump it off behind the net. Hannafin has enough speed that he can curl off and come back, but he hit him tape to tape, boom, back. And, so, and, and you, and, and the you other one they do is you uh, wouldn't expect a defenseman like you off of an ozone face off. You never expect here's the was, right D down, here's the left D down, and your goal is across the across the goal. Yeah, both both D move and the wingers come back. Now that's risky. Because you're deep, you if go off a, a leg if, or anything. If there's a turnover at any point, you're chasing the other direction. So but you if, have, but they did that specific play with Kachuk and Lindholm on the ice, which I don't think they're doing that play with uh, Dubé, Rizicka, and Lewis on the ice. Like I don't. Well, I, don't I, I think you can pull off those plays when you have, say, I would say the Mangiapane line on the ice because mm-hmm. you know, like all due respect to him, Blake Coleman's the slowest guy in that line. But Blake Coleman's not a slow player, and when you, ha- when you have when you have that. When you have Backlund or Mangiapane on the ice, if something goes wrong, they can haul ass back. They're fine. If and especially if you have Gaudreau on the ice, especially oh, yeah. contract your Johnny with, yeah. or as we call him Johnny Backcheck these days, he's he's so good at sort of recognizing with his awareness something's going wrong here, and he bolts back, and it covers up so many systemic things that could go wrong when you try those plays. And and the Flames D don't. Um it's very rare that they'll carry the puck zone to zone. Like if the flames D get into the neutral zone and they'll get across the red, they'll dump it and they'll hard along the boards and expect the forwards to go in and forecheck and grab it. But the D don't typically carry the puck in across the blue line. Now the one guy that does it all the time uh, is Zadarov and he tends to actually lose the puck uh, when he tries to cut into the middle of the ice. So I'm, I'm sure the coaching staff isn't exactly thrilled whenever he tries that, but he does. Zadarov is the guy that does it more than, everyone else shillington does do it but shillington has that rare ability of he can just take three steps and he's back in position wherever he needs to be because he's that fast so and he's um, he's fat the thing i like people you know as an aside frequently we compare players to previous players in terms of their attributes i would say the two best pure mobility defensemen i've seen in the flames in my time covering and watching the team i'd say two guys Everyone's going to say TJ Brody and TJ Brody is one of them because TJ Brody is just a prodigiously good skater. He hauls ass and he does it so effortlessly that you're just, you blink and he's there. And I think a lot of the same elements that make TJ Brody an effective NHL defenseman have and will make uh, Oliver Shillington an effective defenseman. The other guy, throw, the, throw the TANAV aspect into that thing and you're extra we'll, covered. We'll so. get to, we'll get to that. Yeah. But the other, the other player I really like, Jay Bowmeister. And the thing is, Jay Bowmeister, so, so he was so tall and so smooth. Seamless. The, 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 the biggest knock I ever saw in TJ Bro- or on uh, Jay Bowmeister is people going, Oh, it doesn't look like he's trying out there. 
And yeah, because he's so good. He was so good at skating. He didn't need to overexert himself. He would just, he's like a giraffe where he sort of, he moves so gracefully that you're like, how the hell did he get over there? Like, I just looked over there and he was over there and he's over there. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, and I think the things that made both those guys so good at playing a lot and being engaged offensively and being engaged defensively and sort of, you know, we use the phrase, they use their mobility to cover up their mistakes. And Oliver Shillington has used his mobility yeah. to cover mistakes. He's not mistake-free, but again, like I think the Flames, with the way they've built their systems, I think they've built a lot of systemic things where even their, even their set plays, even their positioning, every little thing they've done, I think was sort of designed with a mindset of, okay, what if we screw this up? Like say you get a, uh, an odd man, you get a couple of guys pinching on a defensive play. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, an offensive play uh, face-off win, you're 2D pinch in. So what do the forwards do? Because what if we screw up? And their awesome mindset was, okay, just slide the, def- slide the forwards back. Okay. What if we, you know, what about this play? What if when they, when they you know, uh, when they cycle in their own zone? Like, you're going to act a def- defenseman, right? Yeah. What if we screw up? Have the, the, the move's always the forward move back. And as a result, they don't really have a lot of, like, yeah, the, there's the execution, Yes, has been kind of iffy at times last, I'd say, week or so. And so they've gotten probably a lot more odd man rushes against and high quality scoring chance against. But it's it's more of an execution thing than a systems thing. And I think that those are the kind of things you can tidy up because if the system, you know, fundamentally was unsound, I think you've seen a lot. You would have seen a lot more of these. It, what, the other thing is, I think each player knows what they're like, how far they can push or try certain things. Like each player would individually know with the coaching staff where they stand and what they, what they're, what's acceptable for them to try and whatnot. Like if you're on a fourth line role, like Dubé got bumped down to the fourth line the other night, they might be like, okay, well, this is the simplistic system we want you to play. We don't want you to take this kind of risk anymore, this kind of risk. We want you to go out. We want you to do this. Now, if there's room and you feel comfortable trying it, by all means, go ahead. That's the whole point of it. But number one thing, cover your basis, have your, have your coverage, make sure the third guy in is always covered uh, and the fourth guy and the fifth guy. Like, like you, there's no reason for you to not pick up someone on the back check. And if your guy's changing, well, guess what? You're open for a stretch pass. So loop around, look, see if there's anyone there and call holler for it. Use your voice, holler for it. Cause if, if you're going back on a rush and someone changes, you're open now. Now, someone's going to be rushing back at you, so you only have one or two seconds to really recognize that. So you got to hope that someone like Tanev or Anderson or Hannafin can get the puck and move it up the ice. The one that's been best at fantastically quick transitions is the man we just mentioned, Oliver Shillington. That guy can see a hole through 15 bodies by, it seems, and, and, and needle the thread as soon as someone changes. So Cal- Calgary's built on getting the puck back. Their, their, their strategy is... I want the puck more than you do. And I, I noticed, I can't remember which player mentioned it in a press conference. I listened to all of the post-game press conferences because I try to listen for tidbits. And the one thing they said is, oh, you got to win your board battles. You know, we got to win our battles. And when I was a kid in hockey, um, what I, the mantra I used to improve my own play was win the race, win the battle, win the shift, win the period, win the game. All starts with, the, we got to win the race, the puck first. And getting back to Manjapani, that guy pursues the puck like no one's business and he's on and the players are gonna the defensemen of the other team are more likely to make they're feeling that constant pressure get in and attack them necessarily their hip pressuring the line 
that's what causes quick batting like that. So a lot of their uh, neutral zone Torchek that man Jim Coleman even and the, the, everyone in the top six is kind of be to pressure the defense, but you don't leave them in zone anymore to try and make a play. Someone's got to be putting the pressure on them. So the puck is starting to be moved fast. And that, that, that adds into the pace. That's the other thing it adds into the pace that we talk about. So all Re- those really, little things, all everything. Really in life, everything was back to bull Durham. Uh, and I always think of uh, that, that beautiful nuclear loose press conference after he gets called up. It's a very simple game. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you hit the ball. And I think that's, I think that's the, I think Daryl's just trying to get them to focus on very simple things in terms of, you know, you have the puck, you want to keep the puck. You don't have a puck, go get the puck. Get the if puck. you have the yeah. puck, do something good with the puck. And I think that, I think they're just being better at simple things. And I think, you know, the, we've heard the, the team, you know, the, the team, granted, I mean, they just rattled off 10 minutes row at home. So yeah. we're, we're admittedly nitpicking, but the, I, I would argue that the flames are more consistently better at home or on the road than at home. And I think the reason for that is they, they don't have the comfort zone of last change of the high ground of whatever you want to call it at on the road than at home. So they played, they, I think for years, they played a more direct game. Uh, You know, they, they get less fancy. They're just, you know, it's, well, you're playing in some other teams burn. You're probably going to have less possession while you have possession just do something good with a puck and do something smart with a puck. Mm-hmm. And so they play simply. And I, I would say the, the better games they played at home this year have had a lot of the DNA of their successful road games in that they, they just play direct. Even, even I'd say the best flames power plays are the ones where they play direct where, you know, like you, I, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't, I don't want to be a grumpy old man. Cause I try not to be grumpy or old uh, most of the time, but the, the idea of, you know, like, I, I love seeing cool crap on the ice. Like, Trevor Zegris, mwah. Like, I, if, I, I want Trevor Zegris to be able to do cool, cool shit with a puck as often as he feels like it because I, that's just, it's just fun. It's good, for, it's good for everybody. If you say I it's saw the Dylan game, I disagree. Gunther, I saw Dylan Gunther do a Michigan live on Saturday to get a hat trick. Oh man, like like we we just happened to be at the Oil Kings game, but yeah, I watched him. He picks it up behind the net, comes around, tucks it, and then he's off. And every one of me and the other guys I'm with are out of our seat like this, like like it's just so good for the game and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, I I would say <laughs> if that's all you can do, you have a problem because if the <laughs> yeah. if your default is let's do wacky shit. That's okay. the Rob Shrimp. That's the Rob Shrimp uh, of it all. Yeah, but if if you're yeah. if you're really good at the simple things and you can do the simple things well enough to allow yourself the time and space to do a Michigan or to flip it, do the do the wacky pass over the net to a guy through the like, legs through the leg. Yeah, like if if you're good enough at the basic stuff to allow yourself the ability to do cool crap like that, do it because like cool cool stuff like like fundamentally speaking, we're all hockey fans and we just want to see you know, talented people do cool stuff. If you do, if, if you do the simple well enough that your skill allows you to do that cool stuff, do it. But if I think you're, you're going to have issues, if the only thing you can do is the wacky stuff, granted, I'm also the type of person that thinks that any, any puck that gets in the net in any way, remember who was it? It was the, 
I wanted it was someone in Chicago. I want to say Patrick Sharp during the playoffs like five, 10 years ago scored a goal by heading it puck in. Like the puck got flipped above, flipped. Uh, yeah, it was above sharp. That was sharp. It was Patrick and, Sharp. And, and he, went, I, he went up and he went like that. And now that's not allowed anymore. <laughs> it, it never was. My, I always thought, okay, well, like you're, you're worried. The, the WHL changed their rule with the, the puck in the crease. We're basically, uh, essentially, I think the rule right now is you can't hit the, you can't redirect the puck in with your skate in the blue paint in the WHL. Any other way you do it, they don't even look at distinct kicking motion anymore. They're like, oh, if you're really? not, they're like, if you're not in the blue paint and you don't throw the puck in, you know, if it's if it's if it's knocked in and it's you're on the blue paint and it's off your skate, I, we don't care. Because I I always thought I always oh, thought that if that you header get an goal, elbow on it, if you get an elbow on it from outside, then it still counts. I think it still counts. But my philosophy has oh. always been like basically, if as long as you're not closing your hand to the puck and throwing it in. I think everything should count. If you yeah. have the skill, the puck it's is not handball. <laughs> yeah, if, if if the puck's coming at you and you headbutt it in, that shows that's an incredible amount of skill. That should count. If the puck's coming at you and you have to hit it in with your shoulder, that should count. And so I don't know. NHL change your rules so that you know things are a little plus. Like, I don't know how do how do you review distinct kicking motion? Like hey, well, I can, at this point, I can, we know it's it's a it's a coin flip and it's. Uh... Really, really, because I, I remember that one that uh, the guy purposely, purposely like tipped his skate up. It was there, there's been some that I think, oh, yeah, that can't count. And they count. And there's other ones that I go, oh, that's that's a goal. They didn't do anything. We're, we're so we're so it's bad. Just, we're so bad as a sport at figuring like even the offside review sometimes you're like is the guy's foot in the air is he on one foot like did he break the plane we're so bad at those things that how do we judge intent with if someone meant to kick a puck in i, I would don't just say like their new rule. where contact is i don't like the new rule that they won't show the definitive angle until after the ref makes the call on the tv it's happened four times this year they won't now, show now is, that, the actual... is that is is that a league thing or a broadcast I, I think it's I a broadcast know, thing because they don't they didn't show it in the arena either and that's like kicking motions they don't show or the the goals that are like you know might have trickled over they don't show the overhead cam until the refs made his call anymore and same with the lindholm offside i think i think it might just be that they i think they might just be that they don't make them available to broadcast until they've done yeah but it's it's a weird distinction but and i'm like i want to see right away i want to be able to be like oh that's it or not if it was if they're saving if it was up to me if it was up to me I think a fantastic broadcast element would be, you know what happens? Like, say you're watching a, a Flames-Oilers game on Sportsnet, and they're like, oh, there's a, we don't know if this goal counts. We're going to go to the review. If you're going to a review or you're going to a coach's challenge, they should, put, they should say, Rick and Kelly, we're going to turn your mics off. We're going to use the feed from Toronto because we're going to yeah. bring you in the situation room. I think, okay, I mean, would, would, would it change how they review things? I hope not, but I think that'd be fascinating. The idea of like, okay, you know, the, the referee goes yeah. on the headset, be like, okay, we're going to review. You have the guys from Toronto, like Chris King or whoever it is, walking them through like, okay, so here's the angle we're using. Here's, I, I think if you're, if the idea is you're trying to enrich the experience for the fans and bring them inside the decisions that are being made or not made or whatever, show us how in real time, how things are going. Yeah, because as, as media, we open we, the card a little bit. It'd be it'd be so on, it'd be so <laughs> compelling. Like, I mean, I I don't know if they want to draw back the curtain that much to sort of show how the sausage is being made. But we at the at the uh, if you're if you're the NHL PR department puts out those little blurbs afterwards saying under rule X Y Z we were reviewing this and here's what they looked at and here's how they came up with it. So. <laughs> 
they're, they're comfortable apparently showing the, the, the sausage, so to speak. But I think it'd be fascinating seeing like that, just them reviewing that goal. Like say, you know, and, and then poor Elias Lindholm, you can cut to him on the bench being like, Oh God, are both my goals going to be disallowed? Cause I was so, I mean, that, that yeah, last game, I was so scared yeah. for him. I was so, imagine, imagine first oh, you have Mike should... Gould on Twitter the game before saying he shouldn't get a tat trick or just two goals because he thought Sean Monaghan poked it in when it was already over the line. Yeah, That's Mike, right. that was clearly Lindy's. Come on, man. I think, I think, but like, even, even that, like, I, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, to draw back the curtain a bit up, a, a, at least in the place press box, they have a few, they have a few giant ass TVs that the the video review guys look and so during the intermissions usually it it, you know if there's anything that's close like you know second assists who got the goal who tipped it those kind of things Kale's up there too right like Kale McLean for Calgary's up there in the booth and he's different side different side oh okay yeah but yeah they they in the the video review booth they have a big ass tv size of a wall and they have four or five guys just sort of watching it being like okay who put over the line who touched it last who deflected whatever yeah. And so when you see, the, when you see after the intermission, that's why if you're ever going to have if, you know, fantasy, people will hate this. You always see the goals change either the morning after because stuff in the late in the game, it doesn't get reviewed till it gets reviewed the next day by the, by the NHL office, but things in game get reviewed in the building during the intermissions. And so if you have a goal on your fantasy team, that gets taken away after the first or second periods. I'm sorry, but this is how it works. You mm-hmm. have they go four or five guys. Yeah. yeah, anything that's close, they have four or five guys going there watching it for, for who gets the goal and sometimes secondary assists. They don't really care about secondary assists that much, but typically speaking, well, those need, the them for the, need, need them for the correct point totals for everybody, right? So for especially when there's an like, award with a monetary value, like it's the for the cost. it's for the poolies. It's the I think everybody Ooh. in the NHL loves hockey pools, so everybody in the NHL wants to make sure we get, they get the scoring right, and that's you okay. know there is money with the Art Ross too, though, and a few secondary assists could be the dip, you know. But the, this, like, is, true. People this forget, is true. This is true. The NHL awards do come with a monetary prize. I'm, so I'm going to base all my voting on who gets the most secondary assists. There you go. Heart Trophy candidate it's, it's uh, sh- defenseman every year. It's the Sharing is Caring Award. There you go. So uh, awards. Oh, that's a that's a lovely transition. So we're gonna we have two things on our minds. We're gonna start with the 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 I guess the honorable mentions. So I mentioned this when I was on with uh, with uh, Pat and uh, Matt Rose on uh, Sports at Nine Sixty on on Tuesday afternoon. There are two players, and Shane, I want to hear your your you're weighing in on this too. Yeah. yeah. There's two players who I think deserve credit and deserve awards and probably won't get, if they might not, I don't think either of them will get awards necessarily, but I also think these guys probably won't get nearly as many votes as they should. And we mentioned one of them, Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev will not, he, he got votes for the lady Bing last year because he played for lack of a better term, a ton of hockey yeah, and played at a like high level and he took 16 penalty minutes or something like he that. He had a ridiculously low amount of penalty minutes for a defenseman who played against everybody good in the other team. So and Chris, Slavin got it and Slavin only had I, like I love four pen, pims, def- right? Defensemen, so. it's so tough for defensemen to play a lot and against good players not take penalties. So anytime it happens, you know, I'll, I'll give I'll give an out to that. Uh, Elias Lindholm's gonna get a lot of credit for he he does he's basically a third defenseman or a super defenseman on the ice for the flames. Yeah. He's he's a defensive conscience of his team, uh a lot, you know, especially on his line. And he's gonna get selkie consideration, but he should get Lady Bing consideration too. But Chris Tanev, I think in general, just we, you know, I we if you look at, you know, we we will 
when you there's, remember? there's been some i'm gonna do my rant first yeah so okay. so and we'll clip this for, for for youtube because i think this will be fun for people to yell at me about <laughs> i will freely admit that i was wrong about chris tanev in the sense that i was worried chris tanev uh, plays a lot of hockey against a lot of players and he he he's one of those heart and soul players where when we say heart and soul you think of chris russell curtis glencross guys who their ability to work their ass off is higher than their talent level and that's how they made it to the show in the first place by just being really hardworking guys and they sort of set the tone for their team and that's why chris russell wore an a for the flames curtis glencross wore an a for the flames chris tanev is basically the fourth assistant First, fourth alternate for the Flames. I think he wore the alternate captain's A for one game this year, but he's uh, officially, I think, the, the the alternate alternate. But he is uh, the type of guy who's he plays hurt, he blocks shots, he crashes the bangs in the corners, he's always the guy fighting in the corners or fighting out front for loose pucks. He plays a very, very labor and physically intensive style of game to the point where if you look at the, you know, we've there's been plenty of studies done over over the course of the better the better data era as we're calling the last 10 years or so of the nhl and players we, we had this issue with when troy brower got signed uh Ariane over and i both wrote pieces when troy brower signed going we're nervous about this and the reason we were nervous about the signing was troy brower played a very similarly high taxing style and players who play physical demanding styles lots of hits lots of block shots what have you their play holds up to a point, and then the body says, no more, and then glamo. <sighs> and Chris Tanev, being a guy who's entering his 30s, who played a crap ton of hockey, and his, whose job was covering up for the deficiencies of a lot of young players in Vancouver, you can, it was natural to be a little bit skeptical, be like, oh, God, I really hope that his body holds up. I mean, if you look at the fit, they were losing, you know, the, the Flames, you know, wanted to play a more sustainable style. Chris Tanev's good all three zones player he plays really responsible hockey but he also had a lot of mileage on his body and had come he was coming off injuries i think in the two of the either two of the previous three or three of the previous four seasons he had not played a full season in a while and it wasn't because you know when people were skeptical about chris tanev it wasn't people going i think chris tanev sucks everyone likes chris tanev people are just wondering will he be able to be chris tanev for a full season and not only has chris tanev been chris tanev uh, and apparently Chris Tanev with like a broken ribs or shoulder or something last year, which sucks. If you've, if you've hurt anything in sort of the torso region, anytime you move, you feel it. I don't understand how anyone could play anything with any kind of a rib, shoulder, chest, whatever injury, basically waist up, everything hurts if you move at all. Uh, I'm just finishing, I'm rehabbing a shoulder injury. It sucks. So Chris Tanev, I salute you, but also ask you, you're a crazy person. Why do you do these things to yourself outside of wanting to win a championship? But that's a long way of saying, yeah, I, I, I was, I wasn't sure if Chris Tanev's, uh, would it be able to ward off the injury ninja for a full season, two seasons, whatever, to the point where, you know, would he, would he be worth the contract? Would he play enough to, uh, hockey to be worth the contract? And so far we're year and a half in year and two thirds in wherever, wherever fraction want to use the answer is resounding. Yes. Last year, playing with uh, Noah Hannafin and then with uh, Mark Giordano, he was the best player on Calgary's best pairing in both incarnations. And this year, with Oliver Shillington, you know, granted, Shillington is more than holding up his end of the bargain, but I don't think we say enough things about how good Chris Tanev has been. And he works his ass off, but he doesn't look like he's 
he doesn't look like he's trying to stay alive. He looks like he's he's got it under control every time he's on the ice and he doesn't panic. He's basically unflappable. And I think his lack of panic uh, when he's playing with a defenseman who is pretty young and, you know, the main criticism of uh, Oliver Shillington was you got to avoid the big mistake. When you're playing with Chris Tanev, Chris Tanev is basically like uh, the physical incarnation of Linus's blanket where everyone just seems so much calmer with his flowing locks on the ice. He just, he just exudes calm and confidence and no one freaks out and you don't have a lot of scrambliness. Even when he's being chased in his own zone, he's trying to find an outlet pass out. He, he exudes like, I got this. And he makes everyone else nice, probably feel like he's got this. And so there's not a lot of scrambliness. There's not a lot of uh, river hockey. It's just, I, again, I'll admit I was very pessimistic about the sign. Not even very pessimistic. I was pessimistic about the signing because I wasn't sure if he'd be able to stay healthy. Thank goodness he has, at least healthy by Chris Tanev standards. But yeah, he's he's been fantastic. I, I can't say enough nice things about the impact he's had to this team on the ice. And prob- I've heard nice things about him off the ice too, but I, I haven't seen them firsthand, so I'm not really going to talk about him too much. But on the ice, mwah. so uh, you, uh... My, my bad, you guys, my bad. I should have... I. I, I still stand by my skepticism, but I will freely admit that my skepticism has been uh, shown to be a little bit, a uh, little bit uh, too skeptical. Do you remember the first article I wrote for you after you you got me in the summer? Do you remember what it was? I don't remember what I wrote last week. Yeah, the first article I ever wrote at Flames Nation was Chris Tanev, defenseman, defensive defenseman of the year, and if that was an award, he would have won it. And I broke down. Uh, the last 10 years of defensive performances using evolving hockey's uh, GAR model and like goals goal replacement. And it, it tracks your even strength defense of impact. And Chris Tanev had four of the 10 best seasons, including last year uh, of all time since 07, oh, of all time, since we've had the data from 07, 08. So since 07, 08 up to 21 or 2020, 21, he four of the best 10 ever seasons were Chris Tanev. And so I did that. And then I was like, well, why? Because everyone was worried about the signing. Dominic Lashishin. I always say your name wrong. Sorry, Dom. I think uh, you got it right. I think you got yeah. it right. <laughs> I feel like if I mumble it at the end, I might get it. Um, but all of them, like everyone was saying, oh, 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 oh. And so I was like, well, why? Because we were all so wrong. And I found out. In, in my personal opinion, based on what I found, it was the rookie Quinn Hughes of it all. The unpredictability of someone who plays like Quinn Hughes can directly affect your defensive numbers, especially if they are caught up ice all the time. So Chris Tanev took a massive hit, not due to himself, but due to his teammates play. And it lowered his market value. It made people skeptical of what he could do. But the Flames, obviously, their scouting staff, and this is why it's important to have actual legitimately great scouts, looked through that and were able to find it. And uh, they effectively replaced TJ Brody's spot as Brody went to Toronto. You get that extra right-hand shot on the blue line, which matters, especially when you're trying to keep possession alive. Uh, It's easier to go along the boards from the right point than it is from your left you're trying to go through someone's shin pads um and and it just it's improved everything so i i have all day chris tanev should get norris votes he should uh, i he's not going he doesn't have the he doesn't have the the offense for it 
I, I know he doesn't have the offense, but that, that that's that's the shame in this. That's why there needs to be a defensive defenseman of the year award. Like Nicholas Nicholas Yalmerson never got the love he deserved. Nicholas right. Yalmerson was crucial to those Chicago. And, and Yalmer Yalmerson was their, their their heart and soul in the blue line until his body mm-hmm. gave out on him. Yo, and then yeah, and then and then even in Arizona though, he still put up good defensive numbers in Arizona when they weren't even winning. So like, like those guys deserve the recognition. Zach white cloud in Vegas is a young up and comer. That's a shutdown D kind of guy. And, and, and players like that, I think like if you got the forwards of the NHL to vote on who they think is the best defense, pure defensive defenseman gave them a ballot. Cause they already do that with the Ted Lindsay. Yeah, I mean that, that that someone would need to sponsor a trophy. Though. I, like, I would, I, the thing I keep suggesting that I keep getting told we're not sure if how this would work. The thing I keep suggesting is we should just get the the players to vote for the lady ping. I mean, granted, I don't know if he'd turn into a popularity contest, but who knows what players are, you know, buttheads to yeah. play against or are better than the players. There's a there's, there's, doubt he would give Kachuk votes every year. There's a there's a flaw there's a flaw in in every every kind of voting system. So we just do mm-hmm. what what, uh, what what Winston Churchill say: democracy is the worst system we have next to all the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. This is a podcast that references Winston Churchill we, and we, evolving hockey. We have way too much political science on this podcast, Mike, between you and me. This is true. But yeah, the, <laughs> the, I think the, the, other, the other player who I don't think will get the credit he deserves. So on, on that top line, that elite, elite top line, you have Goudreau, who has, I think he's top four, top five in the league in scoring right now. And rightfully First so. First in five on five uh, points, Goudreau, too. Yeah, Goudreau, best five on five player offensively in the league. Guy who's not far back from him is Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk, you could say he's not as elite offensively right now as Johnny Goudreau is. And that's not meant as a slight to to Matthew Kachuk. He probably admit that. Is he as good defensively at the at the the 200-foot game as Elias Lindholm? Not quite, but he's close. But he's still he's the he is the second best guy offensively and the second best guy defensively in that line. And so is he going to get hard votes? Probably not. Did he deserve them? Hard voters for, for to peel back the curtain a bit, folks. Uh, Professional Hockey Association votes for the mostly major awards. Uh, we vote for the Selkie, the Norris, the Hart. Some some uh, uh, all star and all rookie stuff. The the Calder, a couple other things, but the, the the main thing we vote for, you know, if you look at the the most the t- most votes we do is a, a one to five ballot. So you give a first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice, fifth choice, five choices, uh, and you, they they give you points based on first number of first place votes, second place votes, and so on. So when you're putting together your ballot, you'll be like, man, I thought. Johnny Gaudreau is the third best guy, third best in the MVP vote. I think right now, some models, he's fourth or fifth, whatever. It be, you know, the voting isn't for like two months anyway. But Johnny Gaudreau, can you convince someone in Boston, Arizona, Tampa, wherever, top five Johnny Gaudreau? Probably, probably. Are you going to get two flames on that ballot? Probably not. No. Same, same, same with the Selkie. <laughs> No, <laughs> the, the Selkie is it's it's much harder to quantify defensive impacts. Um, at some point, I will I will try to I'll try to articulate how I'm playing those because I have not figured it out yet. Uh, but I'm trying. I'm asking a lot of people, smarter right. people than I, about how to how to isolate defensive impacts so I can vote like a non-stupid person. But I, uh, that's I a don't lo- pander. I don't pander to you and your voting at all. 
We'll Thank find you. out if I even get a ballot. But any, <laughs> anywho, this is this is my way of saying like the, the Selkie is a tough thing to vote for because there's no, you know, when in doubt for the Norris, you go, oh, uh, you know, if you look at the Norris votes historically and the Hart votes historically, even even you can make a case for the Vesna votes too. If you look at the the main categories, Vesna is goalies who with the most wins or with the lowest sapers or the lowest goals against or the most shutouts right. or the like there's a lot of quantifiable things for goaltenders you can point to and say, hey, Igor Shcherbkin is the leader in XYZ or second and first. You, you can come up with a formula pretty easily and rank goaltenders and not do a terrible job at it. Same with forwards. You can look at these guys, the top five forwards. Maybe you can knock out specific types of points, goals, whatever. Like say, maybe you don't care about empty net goals. Maybe you're like, Austin Matthews has too many empty net goals. I don't want to give him extra heart votes because of empty net goals. You can, the, the, you can manipulate the data without making stuff up to make it as fair as you feel like you want it. Same with defensemen. Typically for the Norris voting, it's the defenseman with the most points. And maybe there's defensemen who's just garbage at defense. So maybe you, you, you know, ping him a little bit, but the, the, the most of the, most of the box car ones for the Calder, same kind of thing. You know, mo most, most awards for best X, Y, Z for best. They usually boil down to box cars. <laughs> Defensive forward is so tough to do. And so it tends to be, very much a reputational award, you know, all, all awards to a certain extent are reputational awards, but the Selkie especially, uh, sometimes it's, it's a well-deserved reputation, like Patrice Bergeron has and should continue to get Selkie consideration because he's just great at it. But for if you're someone who's building a reputation, like Michael Backlund was a really good defensive forward before he got any Selkie votes, and you could make an yeah. argument he got Selkie votes in years where he wasn't at his best defensively because it's just, it's not, it's very hard to quantify. And There's, yeah, no, you can go back, sorry. And and so like, uh, I'd say, you know, for Gaudreau, Gaudreau holds the sway in the quantifiable things very easily. So he's going to get a lot of award consideration and rightfully so. And Lindholm at least has built the reputation as a really step, strong defensive forward. And I think as the, you know, if the Flames are still contending or win the, the Pacific division, I think uh, we're going to see a lot of folks spending a lot of time thinking about and writing about how good Elias Leno has been for the Flames. But I think, you know, I think John, if you take Matthew Kachuk off that line, the, the line is so much worse at so many different things because yeah. he does so many things. Like he's the physical element in that line, not to say the other two guys don't play physical, but he's very good at that aspect. He's good at throwing checks. He's good at, at making little physical picks. Like he's very smart. He's very good at using his body in ways that aren't interference, but could be interference if he was worse at it. He's very good at, at generating term. He's just good at a lot of things. And I don't think he's going to get any, a lot of votes for awards. And he probably, he probably deserves some kind of award at some point. You know who he reminds me of a lot, like a comparable player that's really smart, shouldn't get any knocks on him, but is key to a tremendous line is Gabriel Landeskog. Yeah. Great in front of the net, tremendous on the boards. Without him, the line is not the same. Like, like, like the, the, the reason, show me a great center especially a defensive one and there's probably a really talented winger next to him as well because that matters the center being able yeah. to not have to chase extra coverages and, and keep that center of the ice makes it so much easier when you have a landis cog a kachuk uh marchand and marchand is a tremendous defensive winger he is he's a pest but he is same thing with uh like Kopitar always had dustin brown to go dig in the corners like like these 
uh, Sean Couturier had uh, Gir- either Giroux or Konechny or someone always with him. Uh, Hartnell at times. I think that was when Giroux was center. But like these, these, they've built up this reputation to win these defensive awards. And by no means, and I think they would be the first to tell you that they did it all on their own. They had guys in their corner that allowed them to play the way they do. And Matthew Kachuk, I will say this, Matt, the, the, the smartest natural player on this team before you put the skates on the ice is Matthew Kachuk. The guy knows hockey. The guy breathes hockey. Without him, it's you. You wouldn't have the success of the top line that you do. So he, he is. He is uh, to, to steal a phrase. He's a ring general. He sort of knows where to go and how to be and what to do on the ice in ways that a lot of young, like a lot of older players, don't know how to do. Johnny's got the speed, the puck handling. Honestly, one of the best puck handlers in the league with Patrick Kane. Uh, and the speed and the know-how but Johnny can't Johnny doesn't go in and Johnny doesn't win board battles Johnny gets can especially down low that that's a weakness in his game and he would tell you the same thing he's smart about it he always makes sure he's on the defensive side of the puck Lindholm's got the shot the great defensive stick he's got the ability to know where to be to get that shot but who's the guy in the corners digging who's the guy that's constantly firing those breakaway passes to Johnny as well like who's the guy that does that it's not Lindholm that's Kachuk every single time, almost 90, 95% of the time. I, I have all day. His defensive impact is massive. The evolving hockey twins are consistently on the Kachuk for Selkie train, but it's, as we've seen with Mark Stone, so hard to get a defensive winger in as a, as a Selkie candidate because the people that uh, are in around and watch the game a lot, they know how much more difficult playing center is and trying to get that so strong defensive numbers while playing center. So the fact that Lindholm's even a positive defensive impact player playing against the McDavid's and the Zabinijad's and the Panarin's and, and who else have they beat here? The Matthews, a lot of, a lot of good teams. Is like, like he's doing this, like the, they don't get sheltered. The flames get buried. Like the top line gets put out in their own zone. Like Nikita Zadorov and Gabranson have the highest offensive zone starts for a reason. The, the, the Flames bury their top two lines because they don't need the help. The Flames exactly. tend to give the high ground to Rizishka's line and Monaghan's line because they can use the help. And that's that's what good teams do. If you have yeah. if you have a backland who can and his line can bear, can uh, unbury themselves, and you have a Lindholm whose line can unbury themselves, why not use it? So I think they've been it, they've been doing it very well. I'll, uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure Shane if you saw it, but uh, over at the NHL Network, Jackie Redmond uh, put up. I think she the, there's their folks uh, the weekend. They had like a seven minute segment just about how great Elias Lindholm is, and we'll. Wait, we'll I'll, I'll, I'll post it up with when we post the, the podcast uh, on Thursday because it's worth your time because, you know, we, you know, we, we always joke the it's a, let's be honest. We're, we're covering a small market Canadian team. Uh, the flames are what the fourth biggest market in Canada, what Toronto, Vancouver, Vancouver Montreal, Toronto, Montreal, I'll beat them. Yeah. Uh, so we're Cal- Calgary, Calgary in terms of market size is four a or four B depending on how you want to say Edmonton and all due respect to the, the, the folks in this city. A lot of times, if you have a McDavid and a dry settle, you're going to get a little bit more attention because McDavid's really good at hockey and people, all things being equal. Are you going to sit down and watch an Oilers game or watch a Flames game? Well, McDavid might do some cool stuff. So maybe I'll watch the Oilers game. It'll PBR the Flames game. So I'm not going to begrudge our friends out East or in other markets for not paying as much attention to the flames before now, but now that they're here, welcome friends. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 it's kind of nice to see the NHL network 
you know, going out of their way to sort of spend some time digging into the team because, you know, we, we've, we, it's no surprise to us, to folks who follow the team, who, who, who read the site, who listen to sports at 960 and watch, watch regional sports and all those, all those things. If you consume Calgary Flames content on the reg, you're aware that the Calgary Flames are a fundamentally sound hockey club and they're winning a lot of games and they're winning a lot of games in ways that we say are sustainable or replicable or whatever buzzword you want to use they're winning games in ways they can do over and over again without having to have a bunch of uh, you know unicorns or rainbows or or you know horseshoes tied to their butts they're you know it's they're not relying on luck they're winning they're, but they're relying on a combination of puck luck and also being really good at hockey so it's just we'll we'll post up the the Jackie Reppin segment. She posts on her Twitter. If you don't follow her, follow her because she works for NHL Network and occasionally she po- she also works for WWE. And you get some really funny memes that way. There's been a lot of fun Bruce Boudreau content because Bruce Boudreau is a big Bret Hart fan, which automatically makes Bruce Boudreau a good coach and a good person because everybody loves Bret Hart. That's really all I had about that tangent, Shane. Uh, well, no. Before we before we cut out everything, let's focus on. Do we think how long do we think the streak could possibly go? Because the, the Flames, the, actually the streaks. Have, that, what's going to happen is the NHL is going to realize that they can't have a Canadian team win this many games, so they're going to retroactively take wins away. So the Flames ah. will somehow. I I think uh, we. I think I posted up the other day. The next seven games are going to be really interesting because if you know, I I know the we had the the litmus test road trip, the Florida the Florida and Carolina road trip where they did I think in four nights it was. Tampa, Florida, Florida Tampa, Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Minutes, and yeah. they they played fairly well, but they played bad enough to lose all three games. And Vladar played two of those Mark, because Mark, because Mark, I think Markstrom was uh Markstrom is uh you know battling something at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're looking for other ones, uh but actually I think by the time uh, we'll be doing another podcast soon. Uh but Saturday night, uh, this coming Saturday, the Flames host the Minnesota Wild, and then they play them again on March 1st. In Minnesota, and, and Minnesota that's gonna be, a litmus test game. So they have a home and they have a home and home in this next seven games against Minnesota. They also play Colorado, I believe, in Colorado. or Is it here? Uh, in Colorado, game five of the seven games. Yeah. So in the next in the next seven games, they play three games against two really really good teams. And Vancouver is the stingiest defensive team in the NHL. Believe it or not. By the metrics, the shots against and everything, I looked it up before I did. Uh, I went to Flames Happy Hour, and the only team that graded out as shots against lower than Calgary was Vancouver. So that and and as we saw in that one nothing overtime win, like Vancouver didn't give them much. So they had to, they had to wait them out basically to get the extra attackers. So that's not going to be easy as well. And that's the mm-hmm. next game. That's come, but you, if you're listening to this, then it's happening very soon. It's happening <laughs> Thursday night. This, this, most, <laughs> this podcast goes up on Thursdays. So this evening, the eight o'clock game, you're going to watch the flames play a very, a pretty good Vancouver Canucks team in Vancouver. Yeah. And the, the flames, uh, you know, the flames, uh, I think one of their better games of the, the, the streak was that one, nothing game against it's the Canucks. Dark. Yeah, it's the, the game that kicked it off. And so can they can they break the franchise record of eleven in a row? If they if they're gonna do it, they're gonna have to do it against a good team. Against and a rival? On a division game. rival? I know, I love it. It's it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be and and more importantly, the the folks at Canucks Army would be mad at me if I didn't point this out. It's the best jersey matchup of the year. It is the old school uh, the, the, the skate. skate it's this the orange and black skate jersey versus the flames 
white road jerseys with the cool <laughs> red yoke. It's going to be everyone. You're going to be dazzled with style, folks. It's the best jersey matchup of the year. I love those Canucks jerseys. I grew up watching the Smythe division. Where everyone had a distinct color scheme. The, the, the Kings had the black and silver. The Flames had the red and orange. The Oilers had the, the, the royal blue with the orange trim. Uh, it's I, I just absolutely love it when you can watch. You don't even need to see logos, and you know what team is playing based on the based on the color. Just found out about this. You're seeing my actual honest reaction to this. Like like I'm literally giddy. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're the actually doing best, this. The, the best jersey matchup of the year. It's, it's going to be, be un- fantastic. Unrivaled, no question. This is going to be amazing. And with pure joy, just in, in just in, embarking upon uh, Shane's heart, he's he's just full of pure joy. We might as well end this episode on a high point. There we uh, go. This has been Flames Nation Radio, episode 20, brought to you by DoorDash and Eau Claire, Eau Claire Distillery, Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. For Shane, I'm Ryan. Thanks for joining us. And by this, by the time you listen to us next week, maybe we're talking about a longer win streak or maybe we're talking about a reset win streak. But we'll see. Thanks for joining us, everyone. See you in a week. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.